0: But I was also thinking, this can help somebody else. Knowing that this story happened may give them some hope that they're not the only one, some hope that healing is possible. Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hey loves, before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you that my program Heal to Power is now officially open for registration. This eight-week transformational experience will help you create a blueprint for healing your traumas once and for all. Childhood trauma, trauma from sexual violence, from racism and sexism, intergenerational ancestral trauma, traumas known and unknown. I guide you through some deep dives into examining limiting beliefs, help you release the fear and anxiety that's holding you back so that you can step out into your innate power and thrive in your life. Audre Lorde has famously said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It self-preservation and that is an act of political warfare. Imagine how powerful this act of healing your trauma will be and what kind of impact that will make not only on your loved ones but in your communities and in the world. I'm not kidding. This is powerful stuff. Stop settling. Stop playing small. Claim the life you are meant to live. Enrollment for Heal to Power is now open at suryagyancom slash heal to power. And now, on to our episode. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? Today, I'm looking outside my window and seeing lots of white. We had a second snowfall of, I guess, the last week. Um, Not as big as the previous storm. The previous storm dropped about 20 inches in New Jersey, at least where I live. And uh, yesterday's storm, maybe about seven or eight. But there's something magical about seeing snow on the trees, the branches of the trees. Uh, It just feels so peaceful. And for you, I offer my perception of beauty in this moment. So hopefully you too can find a quiet moment just to be at peace and to enjoy just a glimpse, a little glimmer of beauty, no matter where it is, even if it's just within you in a single deep breath. <sighs> yes. Okay. So today I'm going to turn to my roulette of poems. Ready? Ready? And I will read the poem that has come forth. Spy Hafez, our great Sufi mystic poet, who I like to call on before we start every episode. And so this one is called Forgive the Dream. All your images of winter I see against your sky. I understand the wounds that have not healed in you. They exist because God and love have yet to become real enough to allow you to forgive the dream. You still listen to an old alley song that brings your body pain. Now, chain your ears to his pacing drum and flute. Fix your eyes upon the magnificent arch of his brow that supports and allows this universe to expand Your hands, feet, and heart are wise and want to know the warmth of a perfect one's circle. A true saint is an earth, an eternal spring. Inside the veins of a petal on a blooming red bud tree are hidden worlds where Hafez sometimes resides. I will spread a Persian carpet there woven with light. We can drink wine from a gourd I hollowed and dried on the roof of my house. I will bring bread I have kneaded, that contains my own divine genes and cheese from a calf I raised. My love for your master is such you can just lean back and I will feed you this truth. Your wounds of love can only heal when you can forgive this dream. Hmm. of the longer poems in this um in this collection and actually this is such great timing and one of my well i want to say all of them are my favorite poems but this one speaks a little bit more uh timely we'll say it just feels like this poem came forward at the right time um one, it's winter, right? So the first, the first line is, all your images of winter I see against your sky. And I was just talking about the snow that just um, fell yesterday. But the part that comes next, I understand the wounds that have not healed in you. It's so, um, it's, it's this I see you moment, right? I see you, I hear you. I feel your pain. I acknowledge that you are wounded." And I had actually just um, finished talking about uh, healing trauma as a poly- an act of political warfare. There is a famous um, quote by Audre Lorde, who is an amazing activist, beautiful poet, um, and just all around, inspiration for me. Uh, And the quote goes like this. Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. And so I'm thinking about this through the lens of healing trauma. You know, for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while know that Healing trauma is one of the things that is so near and dear to my heart. Um, As a survivor of sexual violence, as one who has experienced trauma due to the fact that, you know, my parents were immigrants from the Philippines, they fled during martial law, all the things that are carried with that circumstance have translated to experiences of childhood trauma that I'm only now learning how to name Um, and you know those wounds are are not seen unless you go down deep and and go find them Um, but here in Hafez's poems you know the speaker Hafez is is saying I see those wounds I see that trauma that has not healed in you and so what happens when you hold on to that trauma You just continue that cycle of experiencing the trauma, of experiencing the pain, because we forget, or we just are blind to, or we don't see that God and love are real. And what what does that mean exactly? When we think about our traumas, often the response is, this happened to me, and so I am choosing to suffer I'm choosing to be a victim now yes there are events that happen um, that are traumatic and what happens physically physiologically is that our nervous system becomes interrupted our neural pathways are interrupted our sympathetic nervous system kicks into high gear and activates one of the four F responses fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, right? And so depending on the situation, depending on you know, where we're at, one of those responses will emerge. And when that happens, physiologically, the neurological pathways get interrupted and then redirected. So much so that when we are in a situation that feels familiar to that original moment of trauma, we begin to respond that way, even if there's no imminent danger. Um, so in thinking about how we respond to trauma and how we store it in our bodies, think about how we walk through the world carrying this weight. You know, in the poem here, Hafez says, you will still listen to an old alley song that brings your body pain right? That's re-traumatization. You know, maybe there is a song that was playing on the radio when you experienced a really major car accident. And now when you hear that song, your body responds as if you will get hurt again, that you are in danger again. But Hafez is inviting us to tune our ears to the divine's pacing drum and flute, to really focus on God, the universe, whatever you call this higher power source, the divine. And by focusing on that, we remember that we are more than just our physical bodies, that we are love made manifest. We are love in a physical existence, like our very essence is love. And when we connect with the divine, we remember that so that we can take our traumas, whatever has happened to us, examine their roots and pull them out and say, Hey, this doesn't serve me anymore. This doesn't serve my highest good. This doesn't help me evolve to embodying the divine love. I know that I am right. So thinking about how we move in the world, in these bodies of ours. um, Sometimes, well, not sometimes, often we are doing it on autopilot. Often we're not even paying attention to what we're doing in our bodies or to our bodies or with our bodies. Often these days, especially in pandemic times, we have our face stuck in a screen. And I'll be the first to admit that I am guilty of this as well. You know, I am so mindful of it And when my kids come up to tell me something and talk to me, I put the phone down, put it away, whatever I'm in the middle of. But that doesn't always happen. I will admit that. Sometimes I worry that I will forget what it was I was looking at on my phone. I was like reading an article or I was about to take some action on like the Slack channel for my business or respond to an email or whatever it is. And one of my kids comes up to me and starts talking to me and I want to pull the phone away so I can give them my full undivided attention. But I'm hooked into, you know, getting the things done, into the physical duties, the physical three-dimensional responsibilities of this human life, this human experience that we're having, and not really focusing on my kid. You know, I'll be half, I'm half my attention is on, on them. Um, and that, that's no bueno, is what I got to say to that. And it, it's, it's so funny because as I'm speaking this, it's the very thing that I warn my own kids against with their devices, right? So I'm not exactly being the best model or example for the behavior that I'm preaching about. And so I'm, I'm working on being mindful of that so that I can take action to be fully present with them. So one of the things I might do is if one of them comes up to me, and then I'm in the middle of something, I will say, wait, hold on a second or just pause. Just hold on. Let me write this down or write down a note of, of where I was so I can remember where I left off. And then I will give you my full attention. And of course, it has to take us a, a second. It can't take like, you know, five minutes of writing down notes or whatever, because you know, the, the kid, my kid is coming to me with something that feels worth sharing with me feels worth my attention and so i want to i want to honor that but i also don't want to forget what i was doing right so that is something um, i want to practice so that they can see from my example that they too can manage their their screen time but that's not you know what i'm talking about overall that was just a little mini digression what i'm talking about is how we are not fully present we're not fully present in this moment. We're not fully present in our bodies. And what happens is that we forget that we are carrying trauma. We forget, or we even don't even pay attention to how we behave in certain scenarios. You know, until it's happening, until we are triggered, until we feel re traumatized, until our nervous system goes into overdrive. And then we're like, oh, wait, why is this happening? Or, oh my God, this is happening again. Let's go hide under the covers. You know? Um, that's because that is our automatic response. When, at the moment of trauma, when the new neural pathways get created, we just go automatically into that. So let's, let's take a car accident, for example. You know, there's there's a big collision, kind of accident. Airbags are deployed. The whole thing, traumatic experience because you're driving along, you're feeling safe, you know, in your little bubble of of safety, and then that gets that gets popped when there's a, a collision with another car, and so your body goes into overdrive. Your sympathetic nervous system kicks in, and it chooses. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So after that, that response is still embedded in your brain. And often, there's no conversation around how to heal from traumatic experiences. Now, there are some conversations around how to heal from trauma, from a sexual assault we'll say right but do people really talk about healing from the trauma of a car accident um healing from the trauma of racism you know some some people think that you know racism is just words you know it's just um calling people names or it's it's just a matter of opportunities that are not presented equally to certain communities and these are all true but what's missing from that conversation is the effect it has at the biological level at the level of the body at the level of the brain at the level of the neural pathways and so when you leave that part out of the conversation healing can't fully Take hold, can't fully happen. I'll give you an example, for my own my own experiences. So, as a um, survivor of of sexual violence, I um, you know I recognized that I had been through a traumatic experience, and I recognized that I needed to do something about it to get over it, so to speak, to move on. And so, the only thing I knew from you know, movies, TV shows, you know, cultural messaging is that going to therapy is the way to go. Going to talk therapy, you go to a, an office, you sit with a therapist, they don't say anything. They got a little notebook and they sit in their chair and they nod. They sometimes write down what you say and you just sit there and talk. And, you know, coming from a Filipino um, family, Culturally speaking, therapy is not really a thing, period. It's just not a thing. But to even broach the subject of going to therapy feels taboo. It's like, you know what? No, 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 no. We got this. We can figure this out. We can power through. We don't need to tell anybody what's going on. We don't need to heal. It happened. It's in the past. Move on. The past is in the past. Let's just move forward get on with our lives. That's the general attitude. And I know this is the case with other communities as well. But because I am who I am, I don't necessarily subscribe wholeheartedly to the things that are given to me. I'm always questioning, I'm always challenging the status quo. Um, So I go to therapy. Cause I'm thinking, all right, if I'm going to heal from this trauma, I got to go to therapy. So let me go find a therapist and I've never been to therapy, so I don't know how it works. But from what I see on TV, it's like you lay down on a couch and therapist sits in a comfy armchair, has a little notebook, takes notes, nods every now and then, and then you leave and that's it. And so in my brain, I was like, really, that's it. That's all you need to do to heal. Like that's wow. Okay. So if I just talk it out, then I will heal it didn't make sense to me, but I was willing to try it. And I was like, okay. And it's interesting because I was also thinking, is this what confession is like? Like, is that the point of confession? Um, You know, in the the Catholic religion, they have this sacrament. We, I should say, we have the sacrament um, of reconciliation in which part of it is you confess your sins to a priest. I was never a big fan of that. Um, I understood the concept of having to release these feelings of, you know, guilt or, or, you know, badness. I don't even know. That's like, whatever. I'll put that in air quotes. (laughs) Um, But it was a ritual in which by verbalizing it, by actually saying it out loud, that would be your process of purification, of cleansing yourself of sin. Now in the Catholic religion, and everybody knows this, you know, sin is this terrible thing. It's like all the bad deeds you could think of, right? But I don't like to think of the word sin in that way. I mean, this is how Catholics are known for their guilt, because it's like, you know, sin is everything. Anything you do could be seen as a sin, right? What I've done um, over the years in my evolving relationship with my Catholicism is that I've taken the word sin and gone back to its original Greek roots. The word sin was used in archery back in the day to indicate missing the mark. So when you were pulling back your arrow on your bow, and you're aiming for that target, and you're slightly off the bullseye, that's called a sin. Now, doesn't that shift everything? Like, all of a sudden, like, what? Wow. So for me to miss the mark, the word sin, to miss the mark, changes everything. Because it's not about, oh, you did a bad thing. It's more, you were not in alignment with your highest good. You are not in alignment with love. You are not in alignment with serving others. And that feels different. That actually feels like something I can work with, right? So um, So anyway, yeah, so I don't even know well, we were talking about confession. <laughs> right? So verbalizing our, um, our missed marks, we'll say, the idea was that was a physical release from the body. That by saying it out loud, you just release yourself of the weight of guilt, of feeling bad about whatever it is that you did. And so I thought, you know, therapy is probably the same thing, right? I mean, if I did think that 100% and believed it, then I'd just go to my priest for therapy, right? I'd be like, in the confessional, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. Uh, this is what happened to me. <laughs> That's not really how it works. but um, But yeah, so I thought of it that way where I paid somebody to listen to me tell my story over and over again. And what I found along the way in my shopping for therapists is that, well, one, not all therapists are alike. I got a couple that were just um, a little odd, (laughs) we'll say. Um, one, One therapist I had seen for an initial consult, she said something along the lines of, me dressing up like sexy or whatever. And then that would help me get over my, um, trauma. And I was like, mm, yeah, no. Okay. You're not, you're not the therapist for me. <clears throat> so eventually I found, um, I found a, a, a few therapists, you know, over, over the years, I didn't, I wasn't going to more than one, but you know, I go to one therapist. Uh, I went to one white woman and, and it was fine. And then later I went, um, I started going to a therapist, um, a white guy who, um, uh, was really fantastic, uh, a creative, uh, creative spirit and, um, understood sort of the, the soul of the creative and, and how, how we operate, <laughs> not very logically. Um, but yeah, I had, you know, I had some good therapists, um, in my life, but, but what I, What I didn't know then is that as much as I talked, I wasn't really necessarily feeling better. Like I felt better after the session and I was, I was like, oh, I got that off my chest. Yeah. Okay, cool. But I was still getting triggered and re-traumatized anytime somebody would either share a story of themselves being attacked um, or someone mentioning it or there's... A story in the news um any of those things i was still getting triggered and i was like you know what? this is part of the work i kept saying this is part of the work it's part of the healing work then i also thought that writing it out would help me heal physically expelling it from my body so not only speaking it but also writing it you know, writing the story, writing my feelings, writing my experience of during and after and, you know, all the things and trying different things, story, you know, short story, personal essay, poems, you know, I just kept at it. And as I kept going at it, I felt my nervous system kicking in over and over again. And I was getting re-traumatized over and over again, like my whole body would be shaking and I'm, and I would think to myself, okay, this is part of the healing. This is part of the healing. And the reason I was thinking that was because I didn't know anything else. I hadn't seen any, um, examples of healing. I hadn't really found any literature about healing from trauma outside of therapy. You know, I didn't, I mean, maybe I didn't read as much as, as widely as I thought I was reading, who knows? But what I did, what I do know is that I experienced, um, The sense of trauma, again, not to the level that it happened, but enough to create an edge to my nervous system where I was just like always on alert and um, And then also timid and afraid to submit my work, depending on what I had written to certain publications or to certain readers, you know, I was always measured and always so careful and how I existed in my life. And it was exhausting. It really was. I mean, it was like this sort of creeping around, like being somebody I was kind of, but not fully me. It was like sort of half half me. Like I'm only showing you half of myself, but I'm gonna hide the other half. And hiding is a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. But I was hiding out of safety. You know, that was my response to trauma. And I'm not talking just about my, um, my surviving sexual um, trauma. It's also a response to childhood trauma of, you know, you are only to be seen and not heard if we even want to see you. Um, that's, you know, that's a cultural thing. It's not, I'm not blaming anybody. But this is the experience of, of my growing up as a girl in an Asian culture. You are seen and not heard. But sometimes we don't even want to see you. So so there's that, right? So, so my mechanism for coping, for keeping safe, was to be quiet, was to hide. And hiding, as an adult, looked like people pleasing. And that was exhausting, too. You know, worrying about other people's feelings, trying to take care of everybody except myself, um, shrinking myself into shapes that would please others. Uh, It was, yeah, just exhausting. I I can't even repeat it enough. I know I've said it more than once, (laughs) but this is trauma. This is trauma showing up in my life. And so I'm asking you listeners, how many of you are identifying with this? How many of this resonates with you? How many of you are nodding your head? Like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so this is a sign that um, trauma is still running your life. And I don't know about you, but I was tired of it. I was like, I can't anymore. I'm exhausted. I got three kids. I got to live my life. I mean, and what kind of example am I being for them if I'm not living my full life out loud, right? I mean, what am I teaching them that I can only be like part of me around certain company? For, for myself, what I notice is that I'm fully myself around them. What would be interesting to find out is if they notice that in certain situations, maybe I'm not fully myself. Do they see that? Who knows? Subconsciously, I'm sure they do. Unconsciously, for sure. So it got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm tired of pretending i'm tired of dragging around the weight of trauma i'm tired of like faking it and being somebody that's not fully me in front of my kids um and so i gotta i gotta find a way how to heal because this whole idea this whole process that i've been doing for years of talk therapy wasn't working of writing writing it out was not working you know i remember writing This um this Sestina. I love I love poetic form because um the the regulations, I will say the guidelines, the rules, whatever it is, of a form really holds me well, especially when it comes to something that's emotionally charged. It gives me parameters, it gives me things to follow so that I don't get into the overthinking it's a good distractor for the ego. So I wrote this Sestina, which is a really cool um, pattern of the same set of six words throughout a poem that is seven stanzas long. I could go into the whole form, but just Google Sestina, you'll get it. And, um, and I wrote it about what had happened to me, you know, in college. And I shared it. Well, first of all, I wrote it I must've been like a really, I mean, I felt like I wrote it in no time. It was amazing how it just poured out of me. And then I shared it with this writing group that I was a part of at the time. And what I remember from that was that I was shaking the whole time. And I think the group, the women in the group were stunned. Like they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to say. They, they didn't even know what kind of critique to give. They were just like, whoa, you know? And uh, and I remember thinking to myself, that's it? Like, you don't have any feedback for me? You don't even have any comment about that's really brave of you to share? Like, I just went through some crazy nervous system wildness. And you got nothing to say? And that's when I was like, okay, maybe this is not the healing path at all. So I went and, um, started just checking out other things. I was like, you know, I don't know what this is. I don't know where to go, what to do, but let's just, you know, just try stuff. So I tried yoga and, um, I had done yoga, you know, here and there, um, purely as exercise. You know, I saw it as, um, a strengthening and a flexibility type of activity. Totally not understanding that yoga is actually a lifestyle, that yoga is more about this spiritual connection than the physical. The physical is like totally like if I had to rank it, physical is like at the bottom of the, of the chain, bottom of the list. But that's what they focus on here in the States, which is unfortunate. Um, But in my search for healing, and at the time, I didn't know I was searching for healing. It was just, I just felt like I was searching. I just, you know, and the whole, and this, and this whole time, I was also um, reading some spiritual books with a friend of mine, Erica Martinez, who's out in um, Oakland. And, you know, we had, we had started reading all these great books, um, you know, Ask and It Is Given by Esther Hicks. Um, We read The Magic by um, Rhonda Byrne. And uh, a few others asked, what is it? Um, Yes, I I think I can, what is it? We we read a few Louise Hayes books too. Um, And so I just was looking for something deeper. I didn't know that part of that searching had to do with healing as well. Um, And so then I I turned to yoga and um, I found some amazing (laughs) breakthroughs in yoga. Uh, Part of it is because I had, a really amazing teacher uh, and she just like brought the yoga philosophy into the studio where I was like oh yoga is more than that yoga is more than just bending yourself into pretzels I didn't know that that's really cool so I was you know totally drawn in um, did teacher yoga teacher training you know for hatha yoga did training for kundalini yoga and really dove into the spiritual path. Bhakti yoga is also in there. Um, And then I was like, okay, cool. I feel like I'm getting to some kind of healing. I'm on that spiritual path, you know, and I feel that spiritual work is really a good component for healing, but it's not the only part, right? So While I felt like I was making progress in truly healing my traumas, I was still getting triggered. And the only reason I know this is because after the election of 2016, I had, you know, been in yoga and spirituality and stuff. And I was like, I'm good. This is good. Then the election of 2016 happened and the results triggered the heck out of me. I didn't want to leave my house because there's somebody who was a known predator of women, a known, um, sexual assaulter was just put in the white house. And I was like, what? And then I saw the violence against people of color. And so I was like, I don't even, I can't even leave my house. Not only am I a woman, I am a woman of color. So I got, I got double trouble, you know? Um, and so I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I was like, Oh my God, what? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, I must, I powered through, and this is, this is the part that I, I want you to pay attention to. I powered through my nervous system response so that I could go to yoga. I went to my home yoga studio and I was, I was nervous driving the 15 minute drive um, because there were a couple of supporters in front of me with their bumper stickers, honking their horns, pumping their fists out the window. Yeah, we did it. You know, and I was scared and I was like, no, 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 I gotta go. I gotta go to yoga. Yoga is a safe place. Let me go. Let me go. Um, and so I went and and the, the class was just so, um, I was so heavy, you know, understandably so. And, you know, the one who led the class, my friend Judith, she is amazing. She really held the space for us. But it was still, um, it was still like, what just happened, you know? Um, And so I felt like that for a good week, I want to say. And then I felt compelled to write a poem. So I wrote a poem. And I was nervous the whole time. Like when I say nervous, my nervous system was was activated. Um, and there was a a call for submissions um, by a literary journal called The Rumpus, and I submitted my work. I was you know totally like, oh my god, this is so crazy, this is vulnerable. I'm just gonna do it. So I submitted it, and it ended up getting published. And I was freaking out about it. I was like, oh my god, everyone's gonna know about this. You know this about me but no matter, you know, in my head, you know, somewhere, some voice was saying, but this is part of the healing. Right. And, um, and I guess it it could have been, it might've been, but I, but I was also thinking this can help somebody else knowing that this story happened may give them some hope that they're not the only one, some hope that healing is possible. So, um, so I just was like, okay, let's go. But I still knew that more, there was a piece missing. There was a piece missing in this healing journey. And I was like, what is it? I was like, racking my brain, trying to find all the things, doing research, find a book, so whatever, whatever. And then I found it. I found um, the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And that talks about the nervous system and how trauma lives in our bodies and that shifted everything for me and I was like oh my god this is the missing piece this is totally it like everything I had done was great right but there's just that one it's like it was just that one piece and when I found that everything fell into place everything clicked all of my healing work just all of a sudden lined up It was like a super power charge, you know, um, it was crazy. And then, uh, you know, so I did some, some work on that with, um, healing the nervous system and understanding the nervous system and just, you know, working through all that stuff with other modalities. And I was just like, yes, this is it. This is what people need. Um, all these parts coming together that don't seem to come together, especially for communities of color. And so I was like, oh, I got to do something about this, you know? So I talked to some people, you know, friends and, and asked them just what, you know, what's going on with them. And so all of this has led to this building of a program that I love and it is so dear to my heart. Um, it's called Heal to Power. And it's just like, it's this that this is the program that I wish I had, you know, where I could figure out what my healing journey was without so much re-traumatization without so much pushing through you know the pushing through is not always a good thing you know there's that line and i say this to my yoga students all the time there's that line where discomfort is right where you push yourself in a pose in an asana where you feel a little discomfort you don't feel pain but you feel discomfort right but if you push it too far, that discomfort then becomes pain. And that's what you don't want. You don't want to push yourself to the point of pain because then the effects of that undermine whatever benefits you're getting. And so um, this program, it's amazing if I'm gonna just you know to my own horn. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I, as I was saying, it was it's the program that I wish that I had. You know, it it teaches you how to to look at fear and anger, right? Because we carry that in our bodies. We carry that on as part of our response to trauma. Like, why did this happen to me if I did this, if I did that, you know, in this sort of like self-flagellation, if I made different choices, you know, living in the past. And that's not, that's not helpful. That doesn't help you heal. That doesn't help you move forward in life. It keeps your life small. It keeps you held back from your true greatness. And so, you know, one of the things that I do is I help people, specifically women of color, to identify this and to look at it and figure out, okay, what do I do with this thing so that I can move on, so that I can move forward, so that I can thrive in my life to really thrive. Because right now, There's a whole bunch of people living at half mast, living this like safe life that feels comfortable, but it's definitely one that you're settling for. When you know deep inside that you are meant to experience even more than what you've gone through right now. And I just want to help people get to that, to that realization that your life is meant for way more than you even dreamed possible. You know, there's this saying, not this saying, but this idea, this concept that I have that I've gotten from from teachers of mine, that the universe kind of chuckles at us because our dreams that we think are so big are actually kind of small. The universe is like, oh, like patting us on the head. Oh, if you only knew, if you only knew how tiny you were dreaming right now, Because I've got all this goodness, all this vast, spectacular brilliance for you, waiting. Just waiting for you. All you got to do is ask. The problem is we don't know what to ask for, right? So we just dream according to what we see instead of tapping into our inner selves and dreaming from there, beyond what we see, dreaming into what we feel. But you can't do that when you're carrying trauma, right? It weighs you down. It's like a, a big... Anchor like a big sandbag or you know like cement blocks. You know, we want to talk like old mafia style, right? Cement blocks chained to your ankles and you're trying to wade through the water. Um, so yeah, so healed power is this thing, this little project, this program that I've created that I love so much because it helps people see possibility. It helps them release the weight of trauma, it helps them open up their lives to something bigger it helps them remember that our power is within us it is so within us there's just too much bs that's covered over it layers and layers of bs all these 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 stories that were fed to us like you're not enough you're not worthy you know what you're not white you don't count that is like the stuff that we have absorbed that we just can't Peel away, and we need to start peeling it away. We need to start stepping into our power, because we're not put on this planet to live a half massed life. We're not. You know, I'm in. I'm this. I'm one. One of the yoga um, teachings is that we are all. I mean, this. It's not just yoga. I guess it's. It's probably a lot of religions, right? A lot of spiritual philosophies, whatever. There's this idea that you are put on this planet for a purpose, right? Once you fulfill that purpose, then you are complete, you've completed your time on earth and you die, you know? Um, It's like, oh, I completed my purpose. Okay, bye. On to the next thing, whether it's, you know, the next realm, the next incarnation then you know, reborn into another life, whatever it is. But the thing is, How can you find out what your purpose is unless you actually actively go seek it, right? I mean, I know there are people who are seeking it. What I'm saying is when you're living your life at half-mast, when you're settling for a life, instead of really stepping out and thriving, you're going to be spending time on this planet much longer with much more suffering than necessary. And I'm not saying the goal is to live. I mean, some people might be like, yes, I want to live on this planet forever. Yes. So I'm just going to settle. I'm going to be in this small little life that I have because I want to live forever. Okay. That's cool. But think about the quality of your life. Okay, let's let's take two scenarios. One scenario is um, I'm going to live a life where I settle. I'm feeling safe. It's cool. I'm going to live small. I get to live to be 100, but I only can live small from now until then. You know, just like staying in my same little house, eating the same food, watching the same shows, doing the same job, talking to the same people, same, 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 and small, and small, okay? So that's option A. Option B is you get to live to be 75 and your life is freaking on fire. It's so amazing. It is so full of light and love you got a bunch of friends who celebrate you and each other you you wear clothes that feel amazing every time you put them on whatever your favorite fabric is you know you get to like go travel wherever you want um I don't know all the things like that's the quality of life I want I don't know about you if it means I'm um you know I, I miss out on twenty five years extra, that's okay. I lived a life, you know, And so that's what I want to offer with my my little awesome program is an opportunity for healing to happen, for trauma to get released, for anger, resentment, fear anxiety, for all that stuff to just be released and to really thrive, to, to sort of like rise up. Like when I say rise up, I'm thinking more like seriously elevate, you know, levitate. Could you imagine living a life where you were like floating all the time? I'm just imagining that like you're a little fairy and you don't necessarily have wings. You just are like living the best life where your whole body is lighter, that gravity doesn't really affect it as much. And your your toes are sparkly too. I don't know. This is this is what I imagine when someone's living their best life and up to their limitless potential. That's what I imagine. And that's what's possible when you heal, when you say, Hey trauma, you know what? You're not running my life anymore. I'm taking charge. Yeah, I'm taking charge. So, uh, yeah, that is, that's my passion, you know, and this poem by Hafez, all to bring it back, right? All to bring it back to Hafez. Um, This poem just reminds me of why I'm here, what my purpose is on this planet. It is to help and serve others, specifically in showing them how to heal from anything so that they can really live in love and light and all the good stuff so that you can, as Hafez says, drink wine from a gourd he hollowed and dried on the roof of his house. So good, so good, so good, so good. Okay, so I want to close this episode with a poem by Lucille Clifton. And this is a poem that um, a lot of people quote and refer to and and cite and it's just because it's so good I mean Lucille Clifton is just so good period she's one of my favorite poets ever Um, right next to Audre Lorde so I'm going to read this poem to close out the episode it's called won't you celebrate with me won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life I had no model born in Babylon both non-white and woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay. My one hand holding tight the other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. That's what this is about. Yes. Okay, my friends, thank you so much for listening and we will close the episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Yogi. S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I Or visit my website to learn more at Suryagian.com Your best healed life starts now.